All right, good morning. As most of you know, my name is Eric Birch. I'm one of the associate pastors here, and uh, I get the privilege of uh, bringing the word today. Um, as we mentioned, today is uh, Ascension Sunday, um, and it's really kind of a cool day, right? Because it's the day that the Lord ascended, but at the same time, He then transferred responsibilities, in a sense, to us. Um, and um, the ascension is really significant for several reasons. First, obviously, he returned home. I'm sure he was happy to be there, um, having to be here for 33 years. Second, he fulfilled a prophecy, and he fulfilled a promise, right? If there was no resurrection and ascension, we would be lost. And third, more to our point today is that he returned, or his return fulfilled our destiny. Uh, We talk about it earlier in this, about the Great Commission. In uh, Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20, it says, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated to them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So today we're going to be looking at Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16. Um, and it's about being the light of the world. Now, Jesus walked on earth for about 33 years. He showed by his behavior what it meant to love God and what it is to be loved by God. And at the same time, uh, at his departure, he let us know where we stood and where our responsibilities would be. Right? When he left, we were able to be dwelt with the Holy Spirit. And through that Holy Spirit, we were given the power to be the light of the world. We have a task, right? To go and make disciples. And those disciples will be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They'll be taught what Jesus commanded to us. And that he would be with us in this endeavor until the task was complete. So today's point is that we're here to fulfill a destiny. And what is that destiny? Matthew 5, 14 to 16. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a light stand and gives light to all who are in the house. Your light must shine before people in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's huge responsibility. As believers, we are to be the light in the world. That means we should live in such a way as to be Christ-like and glorify God. Now, when I was young, we used to go camping. We had an acre up in Heber. And um, it, was, it was nice. 
we would sit around, you know, do camping sort of stuff, you know, and um, chase lizards and stuff. And and my dad would talk about how, you know, this is where the cabin's going to go. It's going to look here and look there and all this kind of stuff. And back then, we're talking like half a century ago, back then when you camped, tents were made of canvas. And stoves and lanterns ran on Coleman fuel. Um, and if you remember those days, I know today it's easy, right? You flip on your LED flashlight, you're good to go. Yeah, they didn't have those back then. And so you would fill this lantern up, um, and then you had this pump. You had to pump it up to get it up to pressure. And then these mantles, if you weren't careful, they would break, right? And so you always had spare mantles because if they broke, they weren't any good. You didn't get any light. And then once everything was ready, you would get a long match because otherwise you're going to get your knuckles burned off because uh, it would light, you know, the flame would come out. And then it would light, but it wouldn't like turn bright white. No, what happened is it would start with this sort of orange glow. And that glow would start to build as that, that mantle got hot and it would slowly rise to this just brilliant white light once it finally was up and running, you know. And I look at that to me, I think, you know, that's very much like our lives as believers. We first come to know the Lord, and we're soaking everything in, and our light continues to grow. The more and more we know God, the more and more time we spend with God, the more and more time we spend with each other, our light gets brighter. And the cool thing about light is it gets brighter is it goes farther into the darkness. You know, darkness is not a thing. It's an absence of a thing. Right? Darkness is the absence of light. If you have enough light, you have no darkness. It's like the same thing. We say, you know, evil is the absence of good. Now, as you know, that we've been talking about our identity in Christ. Most of 2022 is going to be spent on this identity in Christ, knowing who you are in Christ. Um, and so today's message is, we are the light of the world. Now, that's probably a pretty common topic, um, but I'm going to approach it a little differently. I'm going to ask the question, why does God make men and women to be the light to other men and women in the world? Why did he choose the method, the process that he did? So I think there's several ways to answer this, and since I won't run long, um, we're going to limit it to one. By making his people light givers to the world, he is protecting us from many evils. Now, what do I mean by that? So we have, by nature, several tendencies as humans that we will tend to do, given the opportunity. They're just things we tend toward, right? So the first thing that he is protecting us from is protecting us from selfishness while guiding us in godliness. Now, I've learned many evangelical methods over the years, right? There's Roman Road, Evangelism Explosion. There's all these ways to lead people to Christ, right? But they all start with one very important perspective. They all start with the fact that we are all sinners, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I know most 
evangelism programs, that's where we start, making sure everybody understands where we are. Now, it's interesting because all is one of those weird words. All and never are words that should not be used often, right? But in this case, it's exactly the right word. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and that includes me. So in order to be light to the world, I first had to acknowledge me, my sins, my life, the issues I've had. Because we started out with all the same issues, under the same curse, and headed for the same direction as all unbelievers until we came to know the Lord. Now, one thing that's interesting is that people tend to like crowds, right? Because you can kind of blend into a crowd. You go to a football game, everybody's a crowd. Well, how do you not be a crowd, right? You've got to wear a funny hat, have a sign, you know, paint your face. Then the camera might find you. But otherwise, for the most part, you hide in a crowd. And sin is that way, right? There's all sorts of crowds when it comes to sin. Ah, I'm not that bad. I don't do this. I wish I had a nickel for every time someone told me, well, at least I don't in some other sin that they think is worse, right? But the reality is repentance is not a crowd thing. Repentance is an individual thing. It's something that convicts the soul of what you've done. We look at 2 Samuel 12. Now, if you remember the story, right, David misbehaves, and um, Nathan the prophet confronts him. So we start with 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 5 to 7. It said, Then David's anger burned greatly against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this certainly deserves to die. So he must make restitution for the lamb four times over since he did this thing and had no compassion. Nathan said to David, you are that man. So David has to face this terrible thing that he did, and he has to face it himself. We pick up. 2 Samuel 12, verses 13 and 14. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has allowed your sin to pass. You shall not die. However, since by this deed you have shown utter disrespect for the Lord, the child himself who is born to you shall certainly die. So we know the child that was born of that illicit union dies. But David had to accept that personal responsibility for what he did. Right? You can't hide from that. True salvation is personal. It's between you and God. You can't just be hearers of the word. In order to be light givers of the world, you first have to be willing to be honest and unselfish about yourself and acknowledge and repent of your sins. We are sinners saved by grace. Evangelism is not about pride, but about humility. I didn't do anything special to get to where I went. And I have to be unselfish and share that message to be the light of the world. 
I often believe, I think, I can't believe that God forgave me. I mean, I know what I've done, and he knows more of what I've done than I know, because he knows more than me, and he still forgave me. And if he can forgive me, then he can forgive anybody. So the light shines from us, and it shines outward if we're unselfish and grow in godliness. And also lights, lights shine out into the darkness. So like a lantern on a dark night that slowly rises from the faint orange glow to a brilliant white flame, so will we glow. Grow and glow more as we become closer to godliness. Now granted, we'll never get there. But we'll, our light will always become brighter and brighter and will shine farther and farther as we grow. Now, as many of you know, when I was stationed in the Philippines, um, I flew in the backseat of an F-4 fighter, which is a two-engine, two-seat jet fighter. And we used to really look forward to full moons because everybody knows a full moon is the brightest. Um, and we would go fly low levels at night with a full moon. Um, and on the side of the F-4, there's a little strip about that long that's a, it glows green. Um, and that's the only lights we would have. And so we would have a four ship on the deck at 100 feet, 500 knots, flying low levels through the Philippines. And it was fun. Um, I kid you not. But the moonlight was so bright, you could see every obstacle. You could see the clouds. You know, you could see so well, you could literally fly low level at night. I mean, it was really exciting. I used to, funny, because I'd get home and it would take me like two hours to go to sleep waiting for the adrenaline to drop, you know. And, but, it's, but it was really exciting because the light was so bright, you could see so well. And that's how we should be. Our light should be so bright that people are, are excited to be around us. We should just emanate the Spirit. And I'd be first to say that doesn't always happen. You know, some days I feel more like Eeyore than um, Tigger. You know? Oh, well. You know? <laughs> we, used to, we used to have a friend of ours, we called her Tigger, because she was always excited. You know, she was always excited, and it was like, she loved the Lord, and, you know, she... And it was great, too, because her evangelism wasn't the Roman road or any of that. It was just how she lived her life, how she thanked. Everything she did came out of her mouth with, thank you, God. Great example. All right. So we too should be so bright that it overwhelms all the obstacles so people can see the truth of Jesus Christ. As Dan talked about, very difficult time in our life, in our country right now. We so desperately need to share people the truth of Jesus Christ. That love of people, everybody. The rhetoric today just drives me crazy. You know, it just, anyway, um, we desperately need people in this country trying to be Christ-like, trying to live lives that emulate the life that Christ lived. Um, and to be Christ-like, we have to conquer our sins one at a time and continue to grow toward Christ-likeness. Again, we'll never get sinless perfection, but we can get closer. So by being light givers of the world, God helps us to shed sin and to strive toward godliness. 
Second, he is protecting us from turning the church into an island of isolation. Now, the history of the church is filled with examples of people who decided they were going to hide. You look at the ascetists that used to live in caves by themselves. Uh, of course, we know all the story, you know, monasteries and all that kind of stuff where they made good brandy but didn't get a whole lot else done. Um, and even societies today that just move out into some place so they're totally away from the world, right? But you can't be a light giver in the world if you're hiding from it, if you're isolating yourself from the world. You can't be giving light to it. Again, Matthew 5, 14 and 15, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lab stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Right? That's the exact opposite of isolation. That's putting yourself where your light can shine brightest, right, on a lampstand. God would not have created us to be the light of the world if he intended us to hide from it. You know, and brethren, we share a belief that, granted, not everyone uh, in the Christian world believes, but brethrenism, it's really important you recognize that salvation is a process, right? You come to know the Lord and then you grow in your life until you um, go to be with him in glory. And you have to understand there's a cost to that. We talk about counting the cost, that personal cost of salvation, personal repentance, personal faith, personal baptism, personal everything, or else it's good for nothing. From the Brethren's Statement of Faith, it says, salvation is both an event and a process is an accomplished fact, a continuing walk, and a future hope. It's that process of growth. You can't just say, oh, I'm a Christian, put it on the shelf in case I need it someday. No, it's a continuous process of growing your light brighter and brighter every day. The tendency of faith, though, can be... Um, exaggerated toward isolation. I mean, there are plenty of Anabaptist groups that literally have gone off to some place and built their own community away from the world. But then we can't be light of the world if we're not in, around the world. Now, it's interesting, too, within us in the body, right? We are lights to each other. You know, I remember when I first became a member of the Elder Board. I was scared. I had no idea. I thought, man, I cannot believe this. But I had brighter lights in the room. You know, I had Chuck and Rob and Dan and Tim and uh, John Demeter. I had brighter lights that would help me grow, that would help guide me toward this responsibility of being an elder. I think how many times I've had folks like Randall come to me and help me understand something I could have done differently or answer a question. And many of you have been there for me. Many of you have been that brighter light that helped me see something more clearly. And we're commanded to be lights of the world, to shine on each other, to help us grow. And I expect if most of us are honest, we all had a brighter light somewhere in our life that brought us closer to Jesus. So, again, we need to be a body of lights 
for all of us and for the world that we live in. We live in a society today that so desperately needs the light. All right, third. He is protecting us from separating ourselves completely from the world. Now, that sounds similar to what we talked about in isolation, but this is a bit different because we are in the world, but we are not of the world. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your body as living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service and of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now we are not to love the world, neither the things in the world. To love the world is not to know God. But we have to be careful we don't incorrectly apply that position. If we become overly concerned with not being in the world, we can end up looking at the world with pharisaical contempt. I.e., hey, I'm better than them. At least I don't struggle with that. I am superior to that. And I despise those that do that. The world is too wicked for me to care about it. It belongs to the evil one, and I'm going to just let it rot in its place. But we can't be, because we're the light of the world. It was as if you looked out and you saw a sinking ship, and you raced to the sinking ship, and you helped those that were already in lifeboats ignoring those that had fallen into the sea. We can't be that complacent. We have to feel love toward every human being. And that's tough. I've met some. Okay. <laughs> All right, you guys get too serious on me here. The, uh, you know, I, you know I, I've said it. Over and over and over again, we need the people to understand that they are in the image of God, that they were uniquely created by God in the womb, and that they're valuable, and that God loves them, and we love them too. So we see the world as a sinking ship, and we may celebrate those that have made it to the lifeboats, but we do so while incessantly scanning the waters for those who are still in the water and alive. Our light, our brightness of our light will shine upon the water to show us where those people are. We can't be complacent. We can't ignore the world. To love God, you can't hate men. Now, you may hate what people do. I got that. But you can't hate them. That's different. And it's while the world seems we live in today seems to have a ceaseless appetite for evil, we know that the light of the world, as we continue to stand up for good and spread the truth, will make a difference. You know, as Dan pointed out last week, we absolutely need the Christian church in America to be Christ-like and shine brightly in the world. 
All right, fourth, he protects us from developing a mindset of fatalism. Like I said, we can look at the world today and say, this place is hopeless. I give up. I'm not even going to try. God's plan is much of something's off the rails. Clearly, it's not working the way it was supposed to. This isn't working. Evil seems to be winning. But we know that's not the case. Why? Because we're still here. We're still here, supposed to be the light of the world. If it was done, we wouldn't be here. Amen? So our task is not complete. The plan has not gone off the rails. We are the plan. We are still the light of the world. God hasn't given up, and neither should we. We know God's promise. Romans 10, verses 11 through 13. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek, and for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. Absolutely. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the promise. So how do they get to the point where they call? One you should ask. Verse 14. How then are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without a preacher? But how are they to preach unless there is sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring Good news of good things. So who brings the good news? You. The light of the world. You don't have to be a trained evangelist to bring light to the world. In fact, I would argue most times, not being a trained evangelist, you'll bring more light to the world. You know, I think because it's our behavior, our confidence... Our love, our care that brings light to the world. Yeah, it's important that you know the message. But you don't have to be fancy. I can remember we used to go through these processes and you would, you know, test and make sure you could do it. And, you know, and then on Wednesday we used to call it Awana hunting. So we would have the cards from all the parents that we knew had dropped off their kids. And then we would head to their house, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, we'd go Awana hunting. And... Uh, so while the kids were at Wano, we'd be meeting with all the parents to make sure that they all knew the Lord. And we'd go through this whole track thing. And, and, and really, it wasn't about the track. It's just showing that you care and you know, that you're taking care of the kids. And... All right, finally, he's protected us from developing an extreme longing for heaven. Now, I doubt there's too many of us who have not at some point said, I am ready to go home. You know, I have had enough of this. I am ready to go home. I certainly have. There are days that I've said, to shed this earthly flesh and reside eternally with the Father in heaven, hoo-hoo, you know. I want that new body. I hope it's like the one I had when I was like 23. That one, that one worked good. Uh, <laughs> this one not nearly as well. In fact, interesting, if you read some of the old Christian literature, they talked about the earth as living in banishment from Christ. They were literally separated from Christ, and they wanted to be in heaven. 
But we know we have to stay here because we are to be light of the world. And we know Paul struggled with the same things, right? Philippians 1, 21 through 26. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I don't know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much the better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sakes. Convinced of this, I know that I'll remain and continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your pride in Christ Jesus may be abundant because of me by coming to you again. Paul wanted to go home. I mean, think of all the stuff that he went through. He's like, I am ready. Oh, God says, no, we still have light. You still have stuff to do. Okay. To be, God, to be called by God to be the light of the world is such an honorary position that we have no envy of heavenly angels. We have such a responsibility on this world to be the light. We have been given the privilege of enlightening the unenlightened, of shining light into the darkness of the world. So I pray, Lord, if we can do any good for you on this earth, then extend our banishment as long as need be for us to serve. So why does God make men and women to be light to other men and women in the world? Again, he makes his people light givers of the world. He is protecting us from many evils. He's protecting us from our own selfishness while guiding us toward godliness. He's protecting us from turning the church into an island of isolation. He's protecting us from separating ourselves completely from the world in pharisaical contempt. He is protecting us from developing a mindset of fatalism. And finally, he is protecting us from developing an extreme longing to be in heaven. Brothers and sisters, we get to be the light of the world. What a mission. All right, we're going to transition to a time of communion. Christ lived, Christ died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Christ lived the perfect, sinless life on earth, his perfect sacrifice made once for the sins of the whole world, and we rejoice in his resurrection and his ascension. And we look forward to his returning glory.